All right, folks, welcome in on the eve of the season opener. St. Louis City SC, Real Salt Lake tomorrow night. Brendan, we see St. Louis Soccer Hall of Famer Mark Moser with you. A very busy program coming your way over the next two hours. We're not just talking city. We're going to talk some St. Louis ambush soccer. They've got a big event coming up on Sunday. John A. Eske will be along with us. We're going to visit with Tom Turman, get his breakdown of this uh, city team as uh, we enter the opener on Sunday. Of course, my co-host on the uh, Big Sports Show, Ben Fredrickson, broke the news on Lutz Finance Steel's extension today. He's going to be along with me, and then we're going to get a view from over in uh, Salt Lake. Matt Montgomery covers the team and uh, joined us last year to break down this matchup. Uh, Matt with us again coming up later on in the show. A lot happening, Mose. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, We're in the heat of it now. We've been waiting, uh, what, two, three months and uh, we're back at it with City firing back up. Uh, a great night on Tuesday for the folks that were able to get out there, um, see them get a victory, and, and hopefully set themselves up for next Tuesday to go down to Houston, get a result, and, and move on to the next round to take on Columbus. But, but ultimately, I think I said it last week, for me the prize for them is the MLS, and it's doing well this year again qualifying for the playoffs, and then try and win an MLS championship. And that starts tomorrow. It starts tomorrow, no doubt about it, and a, and a chance to uh, score another big home win. So I, I'm curious from your perspective, Mose, what, what, can, what do you take from Tuesday, from what you saw that is hopefully maybe a springboard uh, for, for some of these guys? Uh, a lot of scoring opportunities, clutch moments in the end. Two to one win. What were uh, what were your thoughts? My biggest takeaway was there was probably not a lot of folks that picked Tim Parker and Kojima to be the goal scorers. Um, but, Parker always scores the first one, though. <laughs> but but that's those are the kind of things that you need. Winning teams have things like they have players that step up at certain times, and it, maybe it's not the player you expect. I mean, we saw it last year with Parker stepping in a few times and scoring some big goals. Um, you know, look at Jared Stroud, the amount of points that he had for this team last year. I don't think anybody predicted that. So for a player like Kojima to step on the field and in a couple minutes score a game-winning goal to start it out, um, you know, I I, I I liked what I saw. Um, Chris Durkin, Thomas Totlin, some of the new players. Uh, I, I, think it's, I, I think this is going to be a very similar team to last year with the hope that they can be a little more consistent and and battle adversity when teams play against them a little differently. They've got a year of experience, a year of experience in the MLS. They go out and get a guy like Chris Durkin, who's got a lot of experience playing professional soccer and and in the MLS. You add some young pieces, but I think the most important thing is something Tim Parker said at the end of last year, where, uh, again, what matters the most? Winning in the MLS Cup tournament, having a chance to to win some hardware. That's why I think this Champions Cup is important. But winning those type of games, you need players that are capable of of coming through in those moments, Mo's. And a lot of these guys gained a year of experience because it it's it's the God's the honest God's the honest truth. A lot of guys that were important pieces to this team, they had great runs in soccer elsewhere, but not necessarily in the MLS. That first year, I think it's it's gonna pay off huge dividends, and I and I feel like the team is you know being down there, 
um, as much as I have here these first few weeks, there is just a, it's not like things are being run tougher. That's not the word, but there's a sense of professionalism that's even a, a step beyond where they were last year. Well, I think you have to. I mean, I think with the way this team was built, where they bring the players in, they give them, you know, some of the guys were here six, nine months before the first MLS game even played. Then with what they did last year, they have to come into this season and expect, not not saying they have to, you know, win the supporters' shield, whatever, but they have to expect to be better than they were last year because every other team – with the exception of maybe Columbus, and they probably have some things they would like to do differently yeah. throughout the season. You have to expect yourself to be better because it, you cannot stand still. If you do, you're going to get passed by. There's more depth. I think we've we've seen that already. We'll talk to Tom Timmerman about lineup construction on Saturday, knowing that you've got Tuesday and then Next Saturday, again, really tight, compressed window to begin things, Mose. I was pretty impressed. Fitness level from Tuesday. I'm just amazed. I just, I think I said it on our, our big preview show on Wednesday. Uh, Sam Adeneron is one guy. It was at the 70th minute, and this guy's blowing by uh, guys on Houston. I mean, the, the speed he still possessed that deep into the ball game. Uh, and maybe it's just a the first game, and, and maybe you start to show some wear and tear this weekend. But first game out, uh, Sam Adeneron was on it. I know that he was, and I mean he's so dangerous. You know when he when he can get in the open field and use his speed and his strength, he's so tough to knock off the ball. And if he can get himself turned, I mean, and he he when he shoots, he usually puts the ball on goal. He hit the post. You know, he, he's just a dangerous player. I'll be interested to see over the course of maybe the first month or so how much him and Klaus play together. Yeah. And can they build a partnership? Because when you play two up top like that, that's something that's really important to have a working understanding of with your strike partner up there. Um, and I think there was times the other night where they weren't in sync. So it'd be it'll be good to see how they can build that. The other great thing that's going on right now is if you're a player on this team, because of this tournament and the start of the MSN, there's going to be a lot of guys, I think, that are going to get opportunities. So if you're a player, maybe like Silio Pompeo, who maybe he doesn't start in the game here tomorrow night, but he knowing that maybe there's an opportunity for him to get the start on Tuesday night in what is, it's a big game. You win this game, you move on to the next round. So there's these, there's great opportunities, I think, for some of, some of these players to step in here and not only help the team, but just from a mental standpoint, feel more like you're part of the team. I love Celio. He was with us last week, and he talked about, you know, he realizes right now he's not necessarily penciled in to start and play like 70 or 80 minutes a night. But he wants to. He really wants it. He wants to start. And what better way to show you deserve it than going out there and, and being productive? It, it felt like to me he was at his best in small bursts last year where he does come off the bench or in a situation where you you're maybe need him to play a little more because you're in a condensed window with with more matches. I, I'd look for a you know 
super early, early pick to click here tonight is uh, is Celio for uh, for te- uh, for Saturday night. Yeah, well, he just he, he brings an energy when he comes in. He's good at taking people one on one, which I think is part of the reason why he you you like to see him come off the bench late in the game when a, a, a back is a little tired and wore down, and now you got a player who's like. Oh crap! This guy is going to take me on every chance he gets. I have to, you know, that's what he can be effective at. And um, you know, I think we saw it last year. If things go as planned, then maybe guys don't get as many chances. But this is a long, long season. I predict that there are going to be some guys that are going to get some bumps and bruises and probably an injury here that could keep somebody out for a month or two months, right. guess what? That's an opportunity. So as these players go into this season, knowing what they saw last year, there will be opportunities. Busy evening coming up here, folks, at St. Louis Soccer Weekly. Ben Fred going to be coming along. He'll have the breaking news for us on Lutz Fahnenstiel and uh, his extension. It's on the way at Soccer Weekly here on the Big 550 KTRS. Well, he's going to be with me hosting a little later tonight for our Mizzou Game Plan show, but uh, he was the man breaking the story earlier today. Lutz Fahnenstiel, contract extension with City keeps him in the fold through 2026. Ben Fredrickson and Ben, sort of in line with the little one-year bump that Bradley Carnell got a couple of weeks back. On the surface, it seems, okay, it's only just a year, but for somebody like Lutz, who has basically been rumored since he got here that he's going to be someone jumping potentially from job to job, this looks like it's keeping him in place for a for a, a, a decent run here with this club, and I think that's what folks should maybe be most encouraged about today. I think so. I think it's, it's bigger than Lutz, too. Um, you look at kind of the trifecta of, of coaches um, who've been kept. Um, Lutz, obviously, at sporting director, Bradley Carnell as the head coach, and John Hackworth, too, at yeah. promoted yep. to, you know, being in charge of kind of all of the, the, the training. Um, that's Those are three names who, if you were looking for someone to hire as a coach or maybe someone to come run things for you for a club that was trying to find traction, why wouldn't you look at one of those three guys at various levels of, of soccer operations? And I think that a lot of teams tried, um, and I think it says something to their commitment to what they've got going here in St. Louis, also the commitment of the ownership group to keep those guys, that they're all still here. And, uh, you know, for Lutz specifically agreed with you that, that there was always that fear, right, of if it if it's a success, is he going to leave before seeing it through? And um, he, is, he has so many connections. He's, he played on every continent. Um, he's he's worked or played for it in all of these leagues. It's a huge skill for him because he um, is able to scout all these players and he knows of all these players that I don't I don't think other teams even know exist. Um, but that also means that there are a lot more people who know him and will try to hire him in years to come. That's going to continue. But he did get calls from Europe. He did get calls from Saudi Arabia, which we know based off of our conversations about golf, the kind of money that gets thrown around by some of those teams. Right. And I don't know what he got paid to stay at, at St. Louis. It wasn't as much as he would have made going to Saudi Arabia. I can I can come close to guaranteeing that. But the fact that he believes in this, he sees this vision, and that he really came here, and I think is kind of putting his money where his mouth is, saying, I came here as a five-year-plus plan, and for me to leave now would be to leave work unfinished. 
the fact that this team had the success it had and it's keeping its major biggest name coaches and directors i think that's a pretty big a pretty big story entering year two well what's refreshing ben in in our sports culture right now where money i mean we, we know it it's the the be all end all and it it is carving out the way we are going to view sports uh, across the board it's refreshing to hear a guy and and let's be honest he's getting paid very well very 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 sure. handsomely he's uh he's not uh looking for handouts here right now he's doing quite well but no doubt about it and i i would venture to guess ben that not only were the saudis willing to pay him above market value there were probably some of those european teams as well and I, I am guessing we we heard that term thrown around a bunch with the Cardinals over the years, a hometown discount. Obviously, this isn't his hometown, but something tells me here's somebody that wants to see this through. This is still just the beginning of this story for St. Louis City SC and for somebody that, yeah, I think could probably make more money elsewhere in multiple places. The fact that he's staying here. Uh, resonates with me and I think speaks a lot about this guy's character. Uh, uh, appreciate what Lutz is doing. Yeah, I think he's driven by um, this challenge. And I think what attracted him to St. Louis um, was this, you know, he's referred multiple times to this white piece of paper, this blank slate that he was basically entrusted by the ownership group with the people he put around him and the ownership group to build this thing from scratch. And he's really happy with how it looks one season in now we say one season because that's what's happened on the on the top team the first team he sees it as as multiple seasons because he was he was putting down the the seeds of the grassroots of this before the pandemic you know got city two up and running um you know they had the the year extra year wait for the pandemic so he sees it from from even before that but you know he he doesn't want to say okay i'm ready for my next challenge until he feels like this thing's sustainable until he feels like his pyramid that he talks about all the time with the community involvement and the coaching and player development is established and it's churning out annually consistent teams at the highest level. And when he does that, if it continues to go at this rate, which is way ahead of, I think, most people's reasonable schedules, he'll be able to write his own ticket wherever he wants to go next. And and my guess, knowing Luce a little bit, maybe there will be another challenge that he wants to chase. I, I think we're learning more about this guy, though, and what we know about him is he's fiery, he's crazy competitive, he's really fun to talk with, he's very colorful, but you never quite know. It, it, everybody shows up for the job and says, yeah, this is my dream job, I'll never leave. And he's never said that, but what he said is, I'm going to see this through because that's what I. That's what's most important to me. One thing to say, and I think the fact that, that we've now seen a cycle where he could have walked away and embrace some new challenge. He could have taken the equity that he had here and gone to use it on his next movie saying, no, we've got bigger and better things to do here and my job's not done. Those actions, when there are offers elsewhere, they say a lot more than words uh, when there aren't offers. So that's, I think that's a pretty good thing. And I, I think that the ownership group too deserves credit because they didn't just say, well, you know, we, he loves it here. He won't leave. That's how you get burned. And I think their willingness to go in and look at the success that Lutz had, that Carnell had, um, to promote pack work and say, okay, we're going to keep giving these guys reasons that, to, to see that we believe in them, that stuff matters. And, and when, you, when you're when you not defending what people want, 
to take from you, then you have a better chance of losing it. So I think it just shows everybody's committed to keep keep this thing going forward. I think we'd both probably put money down, Ben, on, on Lutz being somewhere else in the next three to five years. At least I would. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I, I, I would say that's a reasonable assessment, and I think there would be a hope that somewhere along the lines during those three to five years that this team would accomplish something great, maybe an MLS Cup when it's all said and done. And... That's the point when you've crossed that finish line and accomplished a lot of your goals. It's you kind of tip your cap and say hey, you go somewhere else. I I, I get it. And I kind of happened. I, I hate to use this guy as a comparison, but I, I I think it fits what Jim Harbaugh did at Michigan a couple uh, month or so ago, winning a national championship. He walks away. Part of it probably the NCAA barking at his door, but a chance to go to the NFL. I didn't hear too many Michigan fans kicking and screaming that he was walking away. He just won them a national title. Time for the next challenge. What we just saw this week, unfortunately, with Desiree Reed francois at Mizzou and obviously extenuating circumstances, uh, she walks away. The job not nearly complete, and I feel for her because I, I I think the working conditions were poor, but I think we both felt there were a lot of things left for her to do before her next stop, uh, a lot of things left for her to do at Mizzou. So I think in this case with Lutz, Ben, there's work to do. There are uh, uh, there are goals still to meet, but at some point I got to imagine that door is going to swing the other way, and and Lutz would would be gone, and then. I, for one, think there is going to be, and you just alluded to it, there's going to be a uh, a, a process in place where, I, and I, I can't identify that person yet, but there'll be somebody ready, I think, to take over and fill his shoes internally. And that's when you've got something humming, Ben. When he's ready to step away or if Bradley does enough and he's stepping away that you've got this program moving in the type of direction where it's a seamless next man up and... I think that's what they're trying to build. Well, that's what he's trying to build, and, and he's very willing and, and able to talk about what he wants us to look like years from now, um, whether he's there or not. And, 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 and you see it, really, in, in what they do. It's one thing to say it. It's kind of another thing to put it out there as, as the plan they're following. They view it the same way they view the, these players. They, would, they want to, when they have a coaching vacancy, they don't just go out necessarily and hire somebody new to plug them into that spot. They're more likely to promote someone from one of the youth teams, the academy teams up, and then backfill at the lowest level and then see who grows from there. I mean, they kind of want it, it's almost, they want it to look like an apple tree, right, where you're picking the apples but you're not cutting down the tree. And they view that kind of sustainability model with their playing side, with their roster, with their coaching side. And it doesn't mean they're not going to go out and add from the outside, they're not. You, you can't be so internally focused. You don't take opportunities when they're there. But they want to have that internal growth, and they want to create those opportunities. And that's why you promote a guy like Hackworth because if you don't, you might lose him. Um, and then you go get somebody who maybe is the next one of him, and they're ready in two, three years. So I think that's what he's trying to, to build here. And you know, I, I think I think to me. He talks a lot about this five-year plan. Now he's calling it a six-year plan. It's, it's always going to be a year-by-year thing. But something about Lutz, he's a man of kind of international mystery, right? He has a crazy story as the guy who played on every continent. It's not just about the financial stuff to him. He's, I think, someone who chases big challenges. 
And I think right now he feels like this is a still a really fun challenge. More more important of a threat for losing Lutz, I think, for City SC is not some Saudi team offering him <laughs> a ton of, of money that comes with unknown consequences if you don't perform right i mean we all know what goes on there that that, that can be that can be a sketchy situation it, it, i think i think the bigger threat is him getting bored or him feeling like he can't um he's not creating he's not he's not uh you know he, he's not able to kind of be a chemist he really kind of i think is kind of like a mad scientist in some ways and if if, if that ever turns into punching the clock I'm guessing he's going to start feeling like it's time to move on. The good news is for him, he's as fired up about season two as as anybody, and you know he's already worked himself into a frenzy about all the people who don't think they can sustain and don't think they can go out and and, and do what they did last year again and be better in the playoffs this time around. So he's still very much fired up, and he's the kind of guy that he doesn't want to walk away from something wondering what if. And I and I do respect that about him because I think especially you and I because we're so locked in on college football that it's just constant these guys do one year at a job and then they leave and we've become used to it I wouldn't think I wouldn't have thought it was drastically surprising if Lutz would have left this offseason I guess some people see this news and go well yeah where was he going to go well we see it all the time in sports where people do one season and then hit the road for a better offer um, but it's kind of unfulfilling and, and I think that his his decision to not even really have much interest in that is is a, is a refreshing thing in our current sports climate. And, and and you said it a second ago, chasing something other than money. Uh, again, the money is right. going to be there if you're good at your job, and it's there for loots. You talk about college football. It feels like every level of college football is chasing some sort of money. And then when you get it, you're looking for the next bag. That is... That's not, and maybe it's a soccer culture thing, and maybe that's something we should embrace a little more. And there, and we we know MLS is not the, you're not at the final boss yet. There are other tougher levels to go, and right. and, and I think that's where Lutz ultimately is going to find his way. But hey, this is this is some, un, and it's funny that we have to say unfinished business because this this team won their conference last year, right. and we didn't expect to be this far along here entering year two. And, and and I think it's it's it sort of forced these conversations, Ben, about Bradley, about Lutz, about the, the architects of this club so far. They were so good in year one. It's like, oh, shoot. They, they, they're definitely getting calls from elsewhere. And um, it, it's nice to know that, it, that the band is staying together for a while. And that's, uh, I, I think, as we get ready to kick off officially the MLS season tomorrow, I think plenty of reasons for folks to celebrate that news. Yeah, and I think, too, the comments coming into this season, the second season, have been encouraging. Um, and I say that as someone, and you and I were perhaps the only two on this uh, on this side who kind of said, hey, the reaction to the, to the end of last season was, I thought, a little too sugar-coated from the team. Uh, you and I were both kind of of that mindset yep, of, like, yep. it's okay to say that stunk while also still saying you had a really awesome regular season it felt like in the moment there was maybe a little willingness to zoom past the bad. I actually feel like that's changed this offseason. I think they spent a lot of time talking about how that happened, why, and why they don't want it to be that way the next time around. Um, talking to Carolyn Kendall, she said, yeah, it was great, but it ended too soon, and we're, we have a better team now uh, because of how that happened. 
because of what they went out and did. They added some depth in the middle of their in the middle of their teams. They're also tougher, I think, because they've now experienced that. And and Lutz uh, came out and said, "Look, we." We we lost it. We we stopped our motor and then we couldn't start it again. And it's like, okay, like that's that's exactly what we watched. And now that they're saying that and they're owning it and they're saying, okay, how does that not happen again? That to me is refreshing. It's encouraging. We're not hearing about well, the playoff is random or well, it was a great season. You don't know how the playoffs are going to go. No, they're they're saying, look, we're not happy with how that happened. We had a couple guys on our team who were trying to tell us this is how it can go, and we weren't we weren't prepared for it. So now we will be this time. That to me, if you're a fan of this team, is really encouraging because sometimes we hear the opposite of that of like trying to explain it away or shrug it off. And if they tried or thought about doing that in the moment in real time, they have not done that this off season. And they're not talking like that entering year two. Well, great stuff, Ben, on uh, being all over the story earlier this morning. Appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll check in with you for our Mizzou show coming up here a little later on tonight. And uh, great stuff. Sounds good, man. Thanks. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. More coming up at St. Louis Soccer Weekly on the Big 550. St. Louis Soccer Weekly rolls on. Brendan Weesey, St. Louis Soccer Hall of Famer Mark Moser, and we're pleased to welcome onto the show from the St. Louis Ambush for the first time on our program, John A. S. K. John A., how are you? Good, guys. Yeah. Uh, how's everything going? Hey, man, we're going great. Uh, appreciate you taking a couple minutes with us. And it's been a wild season for the Ambush. I think that's a uh, uh, I think that's probably an, an appropriate adjective. You guys have had a, a, a lot of tremendous moments, kind of been like a roller coaster. How would you best describe where you guys are at right now? Yeah, I think it's safe to say we've finally found our footing. I think uh, recently after our trip to um, San Diego that it was pretty clear that you know we could compete with the higher-level teams and I think picking up some new guys like uh, Vic Morelegue and then also uh, Rafa, you know, those are two huge pickups that, you know, solidified some issues we had had in terms of uh, depth on our roster. But, yeah, I think it's safe to say that, you know, some of the games that we had been losing earlier in the season, uh, we've kind of got our footing now, and I think we play a few of those ones that we lost that were close. Uh, I would be nervous for the other team this time around. John, your first season with the Ambush, what's been the, the, the biggest learning experience for you this season? Yeah, there's a few things. One, I'm, I'm still getting used to waking up at 4.45 in the morning for training. I uh, was definitely still in college mode, so that was, that was a big learning curve. Uh, but outside of that, um, yeah, you know, boards are the strangest thing ever. You know, any time I've defended, uh, you know, in terms of playing like an outside back role or a wing back or even just as a winger in general, you know, you can use the sideline to cut guys off or uh, kind of stop them in their tracks a lot of the time. And having those boards or even, you know, understanding how they're going to bounce off the boards or how you got to position your body, that's been one of the biggest learning curves. And then, you know, the, the set pieces and how guys score a lot of their goals, like, it's such a transition from indoor to outdoor. I'll get super frustrated about it sometimes, trying to understand how guys that were seemingly almost not in the game uh, defensively or offensively end up having, you know, multi-point games with three goals or three assists or both of them. So, yeah, that, that's been one of the bigger learning curves for myself. J- John, did you play 
much, if any, indoor at all growing up? Uh, no indoor. Uh, I definitely played futsal every winter, yep. you know, from the time that I was like maybe seven or eight until uh, I went to college. But yeah, no, no indoor. Maybe like you know one rec league with my with my buddies, but uh, that that was about the extent of my indoor knowledge previously until I got into the MASL. So you 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 joined the team this year. Your brother Will on the team. How, first off, how has it been for you to be able to play at this level and have your brother side by side with you? Yes, it, it's been great. No, nothing short of a uh, uh, you know a dream come to reality. I, I knew that after college, I was going to want to keep playing and uh, you know be able to deal with someone that I've known my whole life and respect as a player and you know. Being able to play with someone like that is uh, it's really comforting. And then, you know, the, the other pieces, <laughs> moving to a you know a new big city where you don't exactly know a lot of people, having uh you know a good friend and a family member with you is not a not a bad way to start it. But you know, the big thing for me is I've always really really respected William as a player. So regardless of any shortcomings with games or anything like that in terms of the ambush, I knew you know William was going to be at an organization that he thought was worthwhile and good so definitely all all good stuff on that end john ask with us uh, from your st louis ambush and john a you, you talk about from college mode to to being a professional and and you played there uh in the mid-atlantic region you played at william and mary you played your last year at uh, at south carolina a little more uh in the south what did you take away from your collegiate days? And you mentioned that you you knew you still wanted to play. Uh, when when those college days were over, did you know that it that that you could have a a a, a match in the MASL? And uh, what? You know, at that point, what what's that process like for you with, with your brother here? Obviously, maybe that made it easier, but was there a bit of a process to see where your next professional step was going to be? Yeah, I know that. I mean, that's definitely a great question. Um, yeah, there there was certainly a, a lot of questions I had, and it wasn't seemingly as easy as it went. I think uh, the coaches at South Carolina are very very well connected in terms of the pro. Uh, the pro game, outdoor wise, at least, uh, and so I, it it seemed like the most viable option for me while I was there was going to just be to go and try out for a, a few USL teams and you know maybe get on a roster when the time came around. Uh, and as things kind of developed, you know, I, I don't know if it was a, a bit of laziness on my end, in addition to a, uh, you know actually getting those connections and then going out on the trials and the timing of the trials versus when I graduated, there's a, you know, got those guys are in the middle of their season when I'm graduating. So uh, that was also a big piece of it. But yeah, in terms of getting to the MASL, I, uh, I hadn't really truly given it much thought while I was at, uh, at school and, you know, talking to William, he was essentially just like, dude, <laughs> it it's it's pretty awesome. It's like I, I promise you, if you come out here, like you're not going to regret it. Uh, effectively, and you know, truth be told, he he's been pretty spot on so far. I've had nothing but fun playing the indoor game out here with him. So uh, yeah, it was a pretty seeming uh, seamless transition, pretty easy overall. John, you guys 
take on Milwaukee this Saturday at the Family Arena, two o'clock. Uh, a team that you've played numerous times already, and and for the most part, uh, been in very close games with them. What 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 kind of problems does a team like Milwaukee present for you guys? Yeah, the biggest thing for us with Milwaukee, obviously, you know, they have a strong roster. Uh, they're extremely extremely organized defensively. Uh, I mean, they they know how to play play the game, and they know how to play well. Breaking them in transition is where we found the most success, but surprisingly, the the possession our on on our end doesn't always prove to be very fruitful. Uh, letting those guys sit in and you know get ready for our attack has not been extremely successful. Th- those are where you know I think those guys are most confident. I think when the game gets a little chippy and back and forth and you know we let some of the athletes we have on our team kind of take over i think the game gets really interesting um the only piece that i thought was interesting the last time we played them was a bit of the possession we had really got some of their higher level uh players you know a little bit tired out i think their engines were running low which you know gave us a good chance to get some goals but they're they're hard they're hard team to score against man they're really really organized well, and they're also, I think, one of those teams you talked about um, with guys that maybe you don't notice much during the game, and then at the end of the game you look up the scoreboard and, um, you know, Ian Bennett's got two goals and three assists, and you didn't really notice them the whole game. That They're very good on set pieces. So is it something you guys try and try and make the game a little more up and down and try and run at them and counter a little quickly? Yeah, yeah, and – you know, I think you know you make a you make a good point that some of that stuff's pretty shocking to me. But yeah, you know we have who I think might be you know three or four of the fastest guys in the entire MASL that all play in you know the same line with you know Marcel Berry, uh, William, myself, Togba. I mean, you got some serious athletes on that roster, and I think when we start putting them to use, it can get a little bit frightening for teams at points, but. Uh, you lose a little bit of that uh, that power you have once you give them the chance to get organized, and I think it was pretty frustrating for some of our good one v one attacking players like Togba as he's going to guys. You know, there's always a second guy that's getting dragged over, and truthfully, the only real one or two one v one situations we had our last game, you know, was uh, Will William, you know, pulling out their guys essentially as deep as he could get him into the the yellow line and you know he came a little bit too far gave him the space that he needed and he was able to get down the line and you know do what he does real well so i think it'll be interesting so going in the the final stretch run here you guys get milwaukee then you head up to play kansas city what's the mood like with the team is it is it is it still upbeat is it still hey we can still we can still make a run at this oh yeah certainly i mean i think uh i i now we're we're leaving games, even you know the Milwaukee game, obviously unfortunate. Uh, I think we're leaving nearly every game we play now, either you know going how did we how did we lose that one or what are we going to do to win the next one? I think all the guys are super confident. You know, we have something that we've always had is a really good group of guys that all care about each other. You know, there there was really never truly a stretch in the season where in the locker room, you know, guys were yelling at each other or putting their head down or pointing fingers. But, uh, yeah, truth be told, I, I think everyone's pumped and, you know, looking forward to how the rest of the season is going to go. So 
all good vibes there. John, playing with your brother, has your folks got a chance to come here into town and, and see you guys play it all this season? Yeah, yeah. They actually came to our two-game weekend where we played Harrisburg and, oh, was it Kansas City? I can't remember. Yeah, they, they came down for a, a two-game weekend. We actually ended up winning both those games, and then I had my first multi-point game. Uh, William also had a first multi-point game, so I think a little bit of hometown love out there was, uh, was much needed for us. So it was pretty sweet. It was a good time. So we need to get uh, some airline tickets out to your folks and get them back here on a regular basis, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, for the sake of uh, my, my points, certainly. I don't think William's struggling quite as much, but, yeah, for the sake of my points, that wouldn't be a bad thing. John, from you, from a personal standpoint, what has been what's been more difficult for you? Is it the defensive side or the offensive side of getting used to this indoor game? Uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly been the uh, the offensive side in some respect. Um, I think now that we're playing man to man versus like a house, I'm certainly feel a lot more comfortable. You know, just like here's your guy, you got to tuck in when. When he's up high, but uh, the the offensive piece is it's just really interesting, you know. And like sometimes, like I, you know, as a rookie, I'm not on these power plays or any of the uh, set pieces, of, you know, because I have a lot to learn about the game still. So uh, a lot of uh, good opportunities to score. I'm not necessarily in the game, but even in the ones that I am, yeah, there's there's lots of things that I'm still getting used to, like on a fast break, the idea of like playing off the boards or hitting it off the boards uh, across to another teammate or, you know, these little clip balls over the uh, keeper's shoulders. There's certainly a lot of things. And, you know, the, the weird thing about indoor for me has been there's certainly some um, some idea of luck, but it's, it's really comes the, you know, the, the, the guys that are doing well, they get a little extra lucky. So I think some of these you know, shots that I were having earlier in the season, they're hitting off the post or bouncing off the center shins or whatever it is. Um, you know, they started falling for me a bit. And I think, you know, that's just part of learning the game a little bit more. You know, my first goal against San Diego started with a kick off of the defender's shins that came back to me, and I ended up toe poking in the back of the net. And I had had, you know, 15 chances that were incredibly more quality than that one. So I think it's just part of the game, you know. John A.S.K. enjoying his first season with the St. Louis Ambush. Kind enough to join us here on St. Louis Soccer Weekly, the Big 550 KTRS. John A., it is a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you for the first time. We'd love to have you on again down the road. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yeah, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Awesome stuff there from John A. There, Moe's. And a big Sunday coming for the St. Louis ambush, and uh, a great cause will be celebrated as well, and a chance to see uh, two games for the price of one. Actually, I'm going to throw in a third game. Oh. Because uh, the ambush play at 2 o'clock. That will be followed by a backstoppers game with some first responders. We talked to uh, a couple of those folks last week. They're going to be playing, raising money, uh, and getting some of these first responders out here playing. And then following that game, the Ambush 2 team will be playing uh, a game. So, realistically, 
go out, get a ticket. You can get about six hours worth of indoor soccer uh, and help a great cause with the Backstoppers. $5 from every ticket going to the Backstoppers. You can go get tickets at the Family Arena box office or stlambush.com. So, yeah, you know, go out. It's going to be a nice day. Head out and uh, take in some indoor soccer. Two o'clock kickoff for the ambush, followed by the Backstoppers and then the M2 team. And John A., fun uh, fun chat with him. I think a, a young man that's got uh, a bright future and, if anything else, uh, uh, maybe a broadcasting career somewhere down the line. Did a nice job breaking things down. Yeah, he did. And he's re- he really has. He's kind of, kind of an up-and-down season. But you could tell the athletic ability that he has, uh, the determination that he has, that he's going to be a player that is going to get better for this yeah. team. Um, and he is he is he is he clearly said he this is this is kind of new to him um, and that's it's great it's kind of good to hear a player say that because you don't hear that all the time it is a very difficult game right. to play at that level and there are so many intricacies he talked about guys you know a game where you don't hear from somebody and next thing you know they got a bunch of points well that happened all the time when I was playing because we had guys that came on for set pieces yeah. that maybe didn't have a great game, but they were on for set pieces, and boom, there's a goal. There's a goal. Um, and it's it's just there's a lot of intricacies to this game. Yeah, he's learning it. And um, this is the guy that uh, played outdoor up until these last uh, few months. And yeah. It's, it, it's, a, it's a process. And an even cooler thing for him uh, to get to play here with his brother. Awesome. Uh, I was fortunate to play a season with my brother. Um, it's a it's a pretty cool thing to be playing professional soccer and have your brother on your line with you. Well, you can see both of the SKs, John A. and Will, out there on Sunday. Great stuff, and uh, look forward to that big day out at the Family Arena on Sunday. More coming up at Soccer Weekly here. It's a Friday, a ton going on on the Big 550. All right, excited to welcome back to the program uh, as uh, he has a chance to uh, cover Real Salt Lake for the Wasatch Soccer Sentinel. Uh, really appreciate Matt Montgomery joining us again here on the Big 550. Matt, thanks so much for the time. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm always happy to be on AM radio. It really takes me back to my childhood in a, a very fun way. I love it. Well, we uh, we, we love uh, bringing soccer coverage here in St. Louis on the Big 550, and it's uh, now our now year number two for this St. Louis City SC program, Matt. And interesting spot here tomorrow night because City played in the Champions Cup Tuesday and win over Houston, and uh, Real Salt Lake had a chance to go down and play Messi and uh, Inter Miami on Wednesday. So both having to deal with midweek games but I, I got to imagine Matt for for this Salt Lake team it, it it's been a little surreal getting the uh getting the messy experience just a couple days ago yeah you know it's an interesting thing so we didn't play Miami this year so I think the expectation was that we'd play them this year although MLS is always keen to change rules on us uh so the really surprising thing is getting at the very start of the year uh, and in in a way, it was a little unfortunate for audiences to see Miami that soon after, like, a grueling world tour. Uh, and it was unfortunate for Real Salt Lake fans because uh, despite that world tour and the very obviously tired legs, uh, they couldn't put, you know, a, a goal in the back of the net uh, and uh, ended in a 2-0 loss. So it could have been better, but it certainly was a little surreal for sure. 
disappointing from uh, from it just in terms of your expectations for this club, Matt? Did, did it did it fall dramatically short off of uh, Wednesday's result? Yeah, I don't know about dramatically short, uh, but but I will say that Miami looked pretty bad, <laughs> and uh, teams will have a good time facing Miami uh, when they're you know on the attack. Now Miami's very dangerous when they're attacking, so. You know, all bets are off there, and we'll probably see some very high-scoring games. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a 3-4, or a 3-5, you know, that sort of thing this season, more than once. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, like, yeah, they've got they've got Messi and they've got Suarez, and they are dangerous attacking players, certainly, and and you can't look past Messi as one of the best players in the world to, the, to date, right? Uh, but I think you can be disappointed when Miami looks like a very fragile team who happened to have some preternatural attacking talent uh, and and not being able to put anything together of note uh, you know is is disappointing although it's a road opener these things happen it's not a big deal pretty healthy going into this game uh, Matt for from from the Salt Lake side yeah, and especially for a team that dealt with some pretty major injuries through the course of last year, coming into this healthy, aside from you know a draft pick who uh, is out for the season, it's it's a pretty good spot to be in for this team. Uh, Pablo Ruiz is back from injury. He, the team suffered after his midseason uh, ACL or MCL tear. One of those CLs, I don't remember which <laughs> one. Uh, and the team struggled without him, and seeing him back was good. It wasn't in quite the position we're used to seeing him in. Played kind of in a hybrid 10 role, and we'll see if, if we continue to see that at Real Salt Lake, but I don't know. It, it could be interesting to say the least. Do you anticipate any, you know, coming off of the, the midweek match, do you anticipate the lineup looking, looking any different based on the uh, Again, based on that quick turnaround from uh, from what you'd see in a in a normal week. Yeah, I think you've got to. Uh, you know, if it's the middle of the season, you've got a short turnaround, then certainly you might push through those tired legs. But at the beginning of the season, there's there's just a lot of risk if you do that. I don't know what that means for this team specifically. Uh, there is certainly depth here, but it's a lot of younger depth, a lot of untested depth. So. Will we see more of that? Maybe. Uh, will we see some key players uh, retain starting positions? Probably. But there are some big question marks I've got about, you know, does Chicho Arango start? Uh, does new signing Matt Crooks start in attacking midfield? He hasn't played for this team yet outside of, I think, a little bit of preseason, although we didn't really get an insight into that. Uh, so, so is there something that's going to surprise St. Louis? Maybe. Uh, but it'll be a surprise to me too, unfortunately. With the the way uh, uh, Ojeda played in Wednesday's game, it just appeared like a lot of what Salt Lake wanted to do went through him. Uh, where where do you see his game at right now, and and how critical could he be to uh, to tomorrow night's match? Yeah, Brian Ojeda is a very capable midfielder. Uh, he's got a good tackle in him. He's quick on the press. Uh, he's quick on his feet to, to find that forward pass. 
Uh, and in a lot of ways, he played the role we expected from Pablo Ruiz, you know, in the middle of last season. Uh, I suspect that we'll see Ojeda and Ruiz together, uh, maybe not Saturday, actually, uh, with the short turnaround, but, but certainly that should be the uh, expected starting pairing. Uh, for this one, I, could, I, I suspect Ojeda starts, and I suspect that he's joined by Nelson Palacio, and I think that Pablo Ruiz goes to the bench just because he's coming off that injury. You don't want to risk a, right. you know, inflaming something, right? Uh, but Ojeda, I think, is, is key to doing well because the system, while it's a little different than last year, you know, there's, there's a 10 instead of a, like, a second nine almost. And so, you know, there's, there's that little bit of difference, but the midfield remains pretty exposed. Uh, so it's, it's largely an empty bucket, and that really puts a lot of pressure on those two central midfielders. What do you think? We're visiting with Matt Montgomery covers uh, Real Salt Lake. The uh, Wasatch Soccer Sentinel is uh, where you can find all of his work. Really great detailed coverage on uh, on Real Salt Lake and a team coming in town tomorrow night. Man, I feel like there's not a... I don't know how much we can glean from last year and the matchups because both, road team won both times. And uh, especially with City, uh, this was a team, especially later in the year, struggled on the road. And I also feel like that road result at Salt Lake came when they were just going like gangbusters at the start of the year. Every bounce went their way in that undefeated start. So it, it it's hard for me to really kind of ex- extrapolate those two games and, and try to come up with a, a, a way to analyze those games into tomorrow night. How, how do you see that? And it, can we take anything from last year? Yeah, I don't know, honestly. So a difficulty with analyzing Real Salt Lake for me is that Pablo Mastroeni is not the world's most tactical coach. Uh, and he's the first to, to talk openly about that, uh, that, that he's focused on the people side of things. Now, things are pretty different uh, in the coaching staff aside from Mastroeni. The entire assistant coaching staff was replaced in the offseason. So that, that could mean that there are new tactical ideas coming to this team. But that makes it really hard to predict what Real Salt Lake is going to do. Certainly, they had a lot of uh, success on the road last year. You saw, I think it was eight wins, nine wins on the road, uh, which in MLS is, is not unheard of, but for a team that's not one of the very best doing that, it was very unusual. Will we see the same thing? I have no idea. I would love to know. Uh, and I suspect that Saturday will be the start of us trying to figure that out, what this team looks like on the road. So certainly against Miami, the performance wasn't ideal. Uh, the way they set out to play the game wasn't ideal. Adjustments were reasonably good. They didn't result in you know, a change in game state, uh, but it, it at least gave us something to look forward to you know, in this road game. I think... The, the, well, I know the team City saw the most last year was Kansas City, and I think it totaled five matches with the two ultimately that ended in their uh, early playoff exit. But, man, I'm curious, wouldn't you think, again, a team like Real Salt Lake that's going to see City a bunch in the Western Conference as we go uh, throughout the next several years, I, I wonder with, with the style City plays and, and going beyond just having stuff on video 
to now having more head-to-head matchups, and this would be the third between these two clubs. How do you think that benefits the team on the other side, in this case Salt Lake, when, when you have those head-to-head meetings? And again, not, not saying anything from last year really matters, but the fact that the fam- familiarity grows, and, and obviously for, for City as well, having a chance to, to have seen Salt Lake more and more as they go throughout these uh, these these conference matchups. Yeah, I think it's certainly an interesting thing for the team to think about uh, when you look at some of these players uh, that that were with the team last year, uh, having played against St. Louis. That that does make a difference where there's roster continuity. Uh, it, it probably makes less of a difference for some of our newer guys. Uh, Matt Crooks being the chief example. Uh, we know he's traveling with the team to St. Louis, or rather he's traveling separate from the team to St. Louis because he's coming from Salt Lake uh, rather than coming from Miami like the rest of the team. That's neither here nor there, really. Uh, but but it's an interesting wrinkle where, like, yeah, there's that familiarity, but there's a key figure in the team now who we haven't seen play with Ray Al Salt Lake in any meaningful sense, who hasn't played against St. Louis. And that, that provides, I think, both sides a little bit of that unknown that makes soccer just so interesting. With, with, uh, with again, one year in the books and having seen these, this matchup twice, did you get a sense from Salt Lake fans that they enjoyed these matchups with St. Louis? And uh, do you gather any, any knowledge that, that maybe this could be a – uh, is there a chance we've got a budding rivalry in in the near future with uh, with these two teams playing uh, quite frequently down the road? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think that really depends on if there are flames in any of you know the matches this year. Uh, for Real Salt Lake, we've got rivalries with Colorado Rapids, which has you know two decades of history, uh, with Kansas City, who we've hated since 2013, <laughs> maybe you know 2011. Uh, with LA Galaxy, because you know there's always you always hate that LA team, uh, and certainly there's there's an NBA carry over there that I think is really fascinating. Uh, so I think we we could. Uh, I, I think if neither team is dominant, that decreases the probability slightly. Sure. Unless one team decides to start playing very physically, uh, and then you know tackles start flying in, fans start getting mad. Anything can happen <laughs> at that point. Uh, but it's early days yet, and I, I'd love to see uh, you know a little bit of rivalry develop. But you know, based on 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 field play and not you know some extraneous factor. Uh, I agreed, agreed. Well, it it starts anew tomorrow night MLS opener. These uh, at least for St. Louis. Uh, Real Salt Lake with uh, the Miami game already in their back pocket. Matt Montgomery covers. Real Salt Lake for the Wasatch Soccer Sentinel. You can find all of the great in-depth coverage at wasatch.soccer. ton of great content with Matt and all of his colleagues there at the Wasatch Soccer Sentinel. Matt, uh, great to catch up again, sir. Appreciate you joining us here in St. Louis. I hope we have a chance to do it again here down the road. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank you, Matt. Coming up next, Tom Timmerman. He's got a view from City Park. Coming up next, we dig into tomorrow night's matchup. It is St. Louis Soccer Weekly on the Big 550. All right, we'll talk some city here with our good friend Tom Timmerman. Covers the team for the Post-Dispatch. His podcast is STL Soccer Talk. Brendan see Mark Moser. Tom T, here we are 24 hours out. The 
regular season opener. It, it feels funny, and you talked to Bradley about this yesterday. It's, it is strange because I guess everything but the pop and circumstance Tuesday, it felt as real as it could possibly be in the Champions Cup, but now the MLS opener tomorrow. Yeah, well, yeah, the first one worked out pretty well, and so this one, you know, they do it again. Um, so, yeah, obviously, you know, what's weird is in that first game, you say, you know, they won it, but, you know, but they gave up a road goal, which is a tiebreaker. They, they're one goal up, so there are, like, factors there. Tomorrow, you know, when they play an MLS game, if you win 2-1, to 3-1, to one, it's, it's essentially all the same. But there's actually, you know, those nuances that come with a right. two-game total goal series. Uh, like we saw on Tuesday, I, I asked this question of of Bradley yesterday, Tom, about you know, if you put video up from last season to this th- season, what would be different? I think one of the things he mentioned was was the press, their ability to force some turnovers. I, I certainly think there are elements, again, small sample size of what we saw on Tuesday that. Uh, that would a be different and b maybe uh, be at a higher level than what City played at last year. Again, super small sample size, but it's encouraging. It is encouraging, you know. And, and the biggest test will probably come when they give to one of those teams that's just you know going to let them have possession and try to let them battle upfield with the ball. That'll be the big thing they've got to overcome. The teams that stuck with the playbook on how do you beat City SC, let them have possession because. That's, that's going to be the big test. They'll, they'll probably see more of that um, this season than they did last. Well, Tom, the interesting thing I thought Tuesday night was, you know, we, we've heard City talk about sticking to their principles. In looking at Houston and what Ben Olsen's team did, they clearly have their principles, and it is we are going to work it out of the back. Because even at the end of the game when there was a minute, minute and a half left, there was no sense of urgency to get the ball up to field. It was, we're going to take our time and work it out of the back. And and City was able to, I think, especially uh, in parts of the first half, but then at the second half, to really kind of keep them pinned in and, and cause that havoc. Yeah, they did. And uh, it's, a, it's funny, because you talk about them, you know, Houston's patience. I mean, I mean, they got a yellow card for time-wasting in the first half. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's the, what's the deal with that? Um, but, you know, someone's laying down the law. It's a CONCACAF kind of thing. On uh, You know, things you see in CONCACAF games you don't see elsewhere. But, yeah, you know, then, you know, in, in cities, that's the kind of thing city will, will send, a, send a cab for you if you're going to, you know, do that. Please try to play it out of the back. And, that's, uh, and they were able to force some turnovers on that. And um, as Bradley mentioned when we talked to him, yeah, they when you get those chances, I mean, this you know, and this is going to be one of the big differences, or one of the things they don't want to be a big difference. Last year, they got those, forced those turnovers, got those chances, and they scored. They didn't do that in the Houston game. Now it's you know one out of you know maybe at least thirty six games right now. Um, so you know, can they do that? You know, that's what they have to do because that's going to be one of those differences. Get the chance, score the goal, versus get the chance, not score the goal. And so they got those chances and didn't very much put them in, but that's what, they, uh, what they're what they going to need to do all season long. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the big telling points on this team. They had a lot of breaks go their way last year. Now, they created chances, but they took advantage of them and put them in. It's soccer. We all know that in soccer, it doesn't take much. The difference between, you know, Sam Adeneron had two off the post. 
you know, a couple inches the other way, he's got two goals. But he didn't, and there's two off the post. And if you have a season where, because it's pretty random, you have more off the post, then you're not going to get as good a result. Yeah, and if you roll that game back 365 days, Joe Klaus probably has at least two goals, maybe three goals, because he had a few opportunities that were opportunities last year that he finished. Now, it's a small sample size. It's only one game. We'll see how it plays. But that was the thing last year, that they capitalized on the opportunities that they were given. Yeah, and that could be one of the things for the team is that they're – they could be, and they probably are, a better team this year. But do they get the, the breaks? Do they get that, those 50-50 or 60-40 plays to go their way because you know, it's, you know, cause of the randomness of the game? And, and Tom, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not breaking any, any news here, but I, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather see a team have eight or nine really good opportunities only score two goals, then score three or four, and only have four or five opportunities. Like if you're converting on all those opportunities, at some point, if you're not getting more, uh, the goals aren't going to be there anyway. So they had plenty of opportunities. Again, uh, the post was hit multiple times. There, there very well could have been five or six goals. But I, I, I feel better about saying. You still win, and you left goals out on the field. It just it has a better feel to it than than scoring maybe one or two more, but having fewer golden opportunities. Yeah, you know they they in the first half they didn't quite gel. They, they they would get the ball deep, but in the corner, and then they could not cross it in any dangerous place, or they tried to dribble in the box, and it didn't work. And in the second half. Yeah, the offense there was clicking, and they were just chance. And there's all those cases where you get one chance, and they stop it, but that leads to another chance and another chance. And so they kept the pressure on. And, they, yeah, they looked like they were going to score twice in about a 10-minute span there, kind of early in the half. And then they didn't. And then Houston kind of was able to settle down and get things a bit more under control. Um, yeah, but that's – yeah. You, I mean, honestly, the more chances, the better uh, in almost every case. Tom, your your thoughts on a couple of the new additions, Chris Durkin, Thomas Totlin. I thought both of those players showed very well on Tuesday. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, Totlin, you saw some excellent moves with the ball. Uh, you saw him getting forward into the attack. You saw him in the in the opposing box, creating you know havoc in there, uh, and doing a good job on shutting guys down at the other end. You know, the the defense was a had its ragged moments. And you're going to see that in the first game. Uh, they sort of survived that. Uh, yeah, and, you know, Durkin, I mean, obviously it would appear that he, at that early stage, won the competition with Alm for the starting number six spot there. Um, you know, they're going to use them both here over these first couple of weeks a lot. Uh, but, yeah, that was, you know, it, I mean, Durkin's, you know, he's a, he's a pro. I mean, he's been, I mean, this is his eighth season of being a professional soccer player. I mean, that, that's, that's a lifetime uh at this level and he's you know he's only 24 so he's doing that well and, and but yeah he he made his mark there and i, I think he looks good and that's going to be uh a battle for he and blum all year long and they'll be pushing each other um but um yeah i think you have to like what you saw from Durkin the first night out well and you you talked a little bit about a couple defensive lapses this Real Salt Lake team is going to be a team that I think is going to test them even more so 
than Houston with players like Arango and Diego Luna. And, and I, I even watching them on Wednesday night against Inter-Miami, they, they created some good scoring chances for themselves, and this is going to be a good test uh, def- for this defensive side for City. Do you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were points in the second half of the Miami game on Wednesday where we also like, what's the better team? I mean, yeah. they, you know, or how many times did you hear the announcer say, turnover by Inter Miami? I mean, the number of times Real Salt Lake forced turnovers and got the ball in dangerous positions, um, you know, they should have scored. They, they couldn't score, much like City had chances and couldn't score. You know, they had opportunities but couldn't do it. But yeah, I mean, they, they got possession in dangerous places, and this is Inter Miami, which is supposed to be really the best team in the league. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, this this will be a challenge. I mean, it's for them. They've got a quick turnover. They played Wednesday night. Um, you know, they stayed over in Fort Lauderdale for a couple of days. They're flying up Friday afternoon um, because where'd you where'd you rather spend days? You know, Fort Lauderdale or St. Louis. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a quick turnaround for them. We'll see. You know, City's got the advantage of one extra day on uh, getting ready for this. But no, yeah, you had to like what you saw at Real Salt Lake on. Uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, and when you take a look at Salt Lake, the little bit of their history, and especially last year, the one thing they did was they got exposed in the back, some routine turnovers, which is something that City likes to force and likes to capitalize on. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup uh, tomorrow night with both defenses at times being a little shaky. Yeah, and if the other thing we don't know is what kind of lineup does Carnell put out on Saturday because you've got that second leg of the Champions Cup on Tuesday, and it's strong likelihood that the guys who use Saturday you you can't use Tuesday or you know. And so this is where they talked about depth. They talked about you know how, how they can be you know they're too deep at every position. So this is where we find out. But you know, do the guys that play Tuesday against Houston do you? Save them for Tuesday again, or do you get Leuven in because you only did 16? You know, AZ Jackson was saying, yeah, I can maybe do both games. <laughs> um, but if you got depth, you know, this is where you, where you want to do it. But, you know, uh, Joachim Nielsen, who hasn't played yet, or, you know, Doer, you know, which game do they get in? Do you get, they, I would think that both of those guys could use a little extra prep time. So you save them for Tuesday and maybe let them do their start there. So th- this is going to be a an interesting personnel uh, decision uh, for Carnell as well. Really interesting, Tom, because I feel like it's he's in a, in a bit of a tight spot here because this is this is the big opener. It will be a sellout crowd at City Park, but you also don't want to sell out too much with your with your roster to where you you don't have a competitive a real a real competitive team to field on Tuesday. Like you you can't empty you can't put your elite offense out there per se but then again it's the opener you you want to be able to go out there go out there and, and shine for the fans I, I feel like he's um he, he's got some he's got some tinkering to try and 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 find a way because I I really feel like this team making a run a deep run in Champions Cup if they can do it is something they need to shoot for yeah you know so on one of these games do you put out you know, Thorson and Pompeu up top, and you have Adeneron and Klaus in the other one. Um, you know, how are you going to, how do you balance that out? You know, or, or do you split them up and go with, 
profile from Pompeo and, you know, Torreson and Adeniron. What's the mix or match there? You know, you think you see Durkin in one and Bloom in the other. Um, yeah, that, it, that's a, a tough choice. You know, and another factor in that Houston game is going to be with Ferreira. We saw get hurt on Tuesday night. Yeah. And Houston has now lost three of their top attacking players. Um, and so they got to play Kansas City Saturday night. What's their depth look like on uh, on Tuesday night for that next game? You know, they're in, in even a stickier situation uh, than City is. Yeah, well, I think the, getting the getting the win on Tuesday probably probably changes things even more because now it's you know if, if you if you drop that game two to one, then it completely changes scenario where you know you're going down there. You have to at least go down there and get a victory, a two to one victory at least to push. Um, but by winning now, it, it really to me it opens the door to move to the next round by going down there and taking a strong team to Houston. So, I mean, he's got some choices, but he keeps telling us they have a deep roster and he's not afraid to use it. Yeah, I mean, do we see a totally different back four between you know, I asked Berkey if, you know, can you do that? Can you play Tuesday, Saturday and Tuesday? I think Berkey's probably the one guy that can just because of the nature of the position. But, um, yeah, you know, and you look at Houston's situation, also, you know, does Houston at this point really want to advance in the Champions Cup with the the way their lineup is getting stretched? Do they want to have four weeks of playing two games a week? Uh, is that going to you know give them a uh, put them in trouble in league play? You know as they try to juggle all this. Um, so there there are factors out there, um, yeah, that we'll see on Tuesday night. But um, yeah, it, I mean. It's, Salt Lake's going to be a, it's going to be a very good game. They they finished strongly last season. They were they, they finished in fifth in the West. They were one of the better teams there. They they had the misfortune they got Houston in the first round of the playoffs. And Houston maybe was the was the strongest team um, in the in the West down the finish. So, but it, you know, City thinks they've got depth, and this is this is the time you find out. Tom, something I mentioned last night on the show and playing some of Bradley's press conference from yesterday and talking about Jose Kojima and what a great story from Tuesday as we see him getting the game-winning goal. But he mentioned yesterday that maybe it's good if we're not talking about Jose Kojima too much. And I got to thinking, is is that a callback at all to what happened last year with Miggy? Because he became this larger-than-life story, scores the goal after his graduation, but... He was clearly a guy and, and, and a young man that wasn't ready for the big stage yet, and, and, and City gave him the opportunities, and he's a valuable piece to this franchise moving forward. But I, I got a sense maybe they they didn't want a repeat of of that scenario distracting from what else is going on on the team. Or, or, or I'm, am I off base there at all, Tom? I don't think you're off base. I, mean, I, I think they do want to make sure that, Kojima is not seen as being this, you know, savior to the club who needs to be in the starting lineup right away. And to say, you know, he is a guy that needs to come along. I mean, I, you know, I think when they put him in in the 86th minute, I don't, I don't think that you know, Carnell was thinking he's going to get us a goal yeah. to win the game. I mean, I mean, maybe he thinks okay, he's going to support you know, Leuven and Pompeo in a situation like that where other guys 
can do it, but I mean, the guy scored nine goals in four seasons of college. So, you know, this isn't what he does. And so I think that's one of the important things that Cornell wants to, you know, remind everybody of that, you know, and it's a big jump. I mean, it is a big jump. And City played Perez because they didn't have any options. I mean, with, with Blum was in, you know, having his, you know, problems, whether it was national team duty or being hurt or being sick. I mean, you know, they needed to play Perez. And, you know, if they don't need to play Kojima, and they certainly have other options there, I think they don't want to play Kojima. Tom, you were around the team last year, beginning of the year. You've been around them in this preseason. Any Anything you see different that this team's either doing or an attitude or, or confidence or anything different from uh, what you yeah. saw last year? Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that because this team was equally kind of cocky and confident last season. And, and that's the, the weird thing is that, you know, Last year at this time, or before their first game, and they were talking about what they could do, and you, you know, in retrospect, it made sense because they did that well. But you look back and like, boy, you know, they had a really high expectation that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But they, I say, you know, we, we saw in training camp how you know in the first exhibition games we played how well we were going to do, and so to this maybe to this extent they, they all come actually are kind of dialing it back a little when there's excuses to dial it forward. But, this, you know, that they're being a little more conservative on what they say about it um, for fear of uh, blowing up in their face or something. But a year ago, these guys, the optimism that these guys brought into this season uh, last year was, was stunning. And I remember thinking at the start of the year, seeing those picks like everybody else, and they were 13th and 14th, I'm thinking, wow, you know, just being around these guys, I think they're going to do better than that. But then I said, well, the reason I the reason I think that is because of what they're saying. I mean, I don't, you know, going into last season, it's not like I had seen what other MLS teams looked like in training camp and can say they're going to be better than Austin. There's no reason, you know, you know you'd have to have watched a lot of games and then diagnosed how Edu Leuven was going to fit in in MLS. There's too many variables to say how good that team was going to be. But they thought they were. And that was something that stood out for me last year. And so, you know, there, there's a confidence this year. Uh, you know, I don't think they want to commit to being, you know, no one's going to say we're going to repeat. or we're going to, But they are every bit, I think, as confident this year as they were last year. So that's one thing that's the same, I think, between seasons. Tom, you're uh, going to be there, obviously, tomorrow night. All the great coverage in the Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com, and the uh, STL Soccer Talk podcast. What can folks find right now and immerse themselves in here in the 24 hours in front of kickoff tomorrow? You know, you, you can immerse yourself in a, uh, a lengthy section of all sorts of things uh, pertaining to uh, the opening night uh, there against Houston and uh, you know, what things might have to change going forward. But uh, uh, we, went, we went deep into uh, having a game to talk about uh, for a change. Yeah, it's pretty nice, and we'll uh, be looking forward to tomorrow night and all your coverage, Tom. Thanks so much for joining us here as another season is upon us, and uh, we uh, look forward to chatting again here real soon. You, you, Thank you very much, Brendan and Mark. Talk to, you, uh, talk to you later. Thank you, Tom T. We'll take a break. When we come back, Mark Moser has his picks to click. You don't want to miss it. It's Soccer Weekly on the Big 550.
All right, winding down this episode, picks to click coming up here for Mark Moser in just a moment. You heard earlier in the show we were visiting with John A. Eske uh, from uh, the St. Louis Ambush, and we mentioned it there. Moe's worth mentioning, again, the big night that's going on down there at Family Arena on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday, 2 o'clock, the Ambush play. If you wanted to watch that game, you can go to Twitch. That game will be on Twitch. I will be doing color with Matt Rocchio in that game. Uh, And then following that game, the first responders, the backstoppers, are going to be out playing a game, help raise some money for the backstoppers. And then that game following that one will be the Ambush uh, 2 team, which will play following that one. So six hours of indoor soccer on a Sunday, uh, plenty of tickets available, and you go out and support a great cause with the backstoppers. Are you on the call for all six hours? No. No, I'm just doing the ambush game. <laughs> no, I no no marathon uh, no marathon call on the right. TV there. Well, we'll look forward to hearing uh, from you there on Sunday, Mose. Let's uh, jump into some picks to click. Yeah, big weekend, the kickoff of the MLS. But uh, let's start off in the Premier League on Saturday morning on Peacock, Manchester United versus Fulham. That one, like I said, nine o'clock Saturday morning. Then our next pick, Saturday evening, this is a pretty easy one, 7.30 p.m., St. Louis City versus Real Salt Lake. That game can be found on Apple. We'll need the MLS season pass for that one. And then on Sunday, 7.30 in the evening, you'll also need the Apple MLS pass, the L.A. Galaxy, David Beckham heading home where it all started in the MLS for him, bringing his inner Miami and Lionel Messi out to California. You mentioned the, the fact that you're going to need your uh, Apple MLS season pass. No freebies this year. Other Now, obviously, if you are a season ticket holder, you get that uh, you, you get the, the, the free pass, so that is great news. But uh, I know one of the things I had last year was T-Mobile. They, uh, if you had T-Mobile, that got you the MLS season pass for, for free. Not the case this year. And I've heard some talk that maybe they'll have fewer of those season pass free games because there were many of those. And it felt like St. Louis had a free game, whether it was on linear television or whether it was on the, the, uh, the, the package there, that they wound up on the free game, it seemed like, almost half the time. So I, I'm, I'm curious this year if everything's behind the paywall, uh, what this looks like. And, I, and I, I guess I get it because you need to make your money and, and, and keep that demand up there as long as Messi's playing in your league. No reason to give anything away for free. But uh, just, just I, I'm curious now because uh, uh, there, there were a lot of folks that got it for free last year. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, I was, I was actually surprised when they came out and did say that season ticket holders would again get – the MLS pass um, and then you know knowing a few folks like yourself that did, did get it through T-Mobile um, it'll be interesting to see how this transitions and it seems like you talked about City having a lot of games that fell under as the season went on that dwindled a little bit and I don't know if they were playing less games on the free version later in the year but um, as of right now I think there's three, maybe three or four games that City is slated to be on that. So, um, you you if you want to see most of the games, you're going to have to go out and get the uh, MLS season pass on Apple, or go down there and uh, and, and find uh, some tickets. And yep. it, by by the sound of it, they're available in 
very sparse numbers, probably not available for tomorrow. And I'll continue to say, you want to go down there and see City Park and get uh, at least a taste of the atmosphere? City 2 tickets, a lot easier to procure. And I think their opener is going to be either St. Patrick's Day or the day, I think it is. I think it falls on St. Patrick's Day this year uh, down there at City Park. And that is also a really cool way just to get the vibe of of the experience down there if you are uh, kind of uh, frozen out from uh, getting those season tickets. Well, and I think there's still a lot of folks that have not been able to get in, uh, whether you know they didn't make it to a City 2 game, they didn't make it to a City or, or one of the U.S. games that was here, that it is still an opportunity. Um, they're playing a lot of games on Sundays. Yep. Uh, yeah. Sunday evening, early evening. Yep. So it's still an opportunity to go down and, and see this spectacular stadium uh, and get a chance to watch some young players that hopefully within the next year or two or three could be players that could be making an impact with this city team. And if they make a run in Champions Cup, uh, by the look of it, if they've got more home games, that there there will be tickets for those because the season ticket – Holders, you're one of those. You you guys are are lining up to get into the regular season, and it it takes an extra step. So there are more tickets available for that tournament if indeed St. Louis gets to make a little bit of a run in it. Well, and if they can win on Tuesday, they would face Columbus, which defending MLS champs, who we didn't see last year, we won't see them this year. Patrick Schulte, St. Louis boy. So I I would think if they get through this game, I would think you would see some tickets start getting gobbled up. There will be tickets available to go out and get for the Columbus game if they can advance. Moe's give me a pick for Sunday. Oh. Or Saturday, I should say. I'm going to go with City. I'm going to go with City 3-1. Yeah, I like like them. I'm going to stick. I'll say – I'm going to stick with you. I like three to one. I like um, I like their the propensity to get some goals on the board. I like all the opportunities we saw on Tuesday. We both like a city winner tomorrow. Enjoy the game, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a good weekend. That's Mark Moser on Brendan Weesey, St. Louis Soccer Weekly. Don't forget, we're we're back to break it all down Sunday morning with our soccer wrap up. Uh, coming up next, our Mizzou game plan. A ton to dig into. Ben Fred rejoins me coming up after the news on the Big Five Fifty.